Moby Dick, or The Whale, by Herman Melville. Chapter 29. Enter Ahab. To him, Stubb. Some days elapsed, and ice and icebergs all astern, the Pequod now went rolling through the bright Quito Spring, which at sea almost perpetually rains on the threshold of the eternal August of the Tropic. The warmly cool, clear, ringing, perfumed, overflowing, redundant days, whereas crystal goblets of Persian sherbet, heaped up, flaked up with rose-water snow. The starred and stately knights seemed haughty dames in jeweled velvets, nursing at home in lonely pride the memory of their absent conquering earls, the golden-helmeted sons. For sleeping man was hard to choose between such winsome days and such seducing nights, but all the witcheries of that unwaning weather did not merely lend new spells and potencies to the outward world. Inward they turned upon the soul, especially when the still mild hours of eve came on. Then memory shot her crystals as the clear ice most forms of noiseless twilights. And all these subtle agencies, more and more, they wrought on Ahab's texture. Old age is always wakeful, as if the longer linked with life, the less man has to do with aught that looks like death. Among sea commanders, the old greybeards will oftenest leave their berths to visit the night-cloaked deck. It was so with Ahab, only that now of late he seemed so much to live in the open air, that truly speaking his visits were more to the cabin than from the cabin to the planks. It feels like going down into one's tomb, he would mutter to himself, for an old captain like me, to be sending this narrow scuttle to go to my grave-dug berth. So almost every twenty-four hours, when the watches of the night were set, and the band on deck sentineled the slumbers of the band below, and when if a rope was to be hauled upon the forecastle, the sailors flung it not rudely down as by day, but with some cautiousness dropped it to its place for fear of disturbing their slumbering shipmates. When this sort of steady quietude would begin to prevail, habitually the silent steersman would watch the cabin scuttle, and ere long the old man would emerge, griping at the iron banister to help his crippled way. Some considerating touch of humanity was in him, for at times like these he usually abstained from patrolling the quarter-deck, because to his wearied mates, seeking repose within six inches of his ivory heel, such would have been the reverberating crack and din of that bony step, that their dreams would have been of the crunching teeth of sharks. But once the mood on him was too deep for common regardings, and as, with heavy, lumber-like pace, he was measuring the ship from taffrail to mainmast, Stubb, the odd second mate, came up from below, and with a certain unassured, deprecating humorousness, hinted that if Captain Ahab was pleased to walk the planks, then no one could say nay. But there might be some way of muffling the noise, hinting something indistinctly and hesitatingly about a globe of tow and the insertion into it of the ivory heel. Ah, Stubb, thou didst not know Ahab, then. Am I a cannonball, Stubb, said Ahab, that thou wouldst wad me that fashion? But go thy ways, I had forgot. Below to thy knightly grave, where such as ye sleep between shrouds, to use ye to the filling one at last. 
down dog, and kennel. Starting at the unforeseen concluding exclamation of the so suddenly scornful old man, Stubb was speechless a moment, then said excitedly, I am not used to be spoken to that way, sir. I do but less than half like it, sir. Avast, gritted Ahab between his set teeth, and violently moving away as if to avoid some passionate temptation. No, sir, not yet, said Stubb, emboldened. I will not tamely be called a dog, sir. Then be called ten times a donkey, and a mule, and an ass, and be gone, or I'll clear the world of thee. As he said this, Ahab advanced upon him with such overbearing terrors in his aspect that Stubb involuntarily retreated. I was never served so before without giving a hard blow for it, muttered Stubb, as he found himself descending the cabin scuttle. It's very queer. Stop, Stubb. Somehow now, I don't well know whether to go back and strike him, or what's that, down here on my knees and pray for him? Yes, that was a thought coming up in me. But it would be the first time I ever did pray. It's queer, very queer. And he's queer, too. I take him for an aft. He's about the queerest old man Stubb ever sailed with. How he flashed at me. His eyes like powder pans. Is he mad? Anyway, there's something on his mind, as sure as there must be something on a deck when it cracks. He ain't in his bed now either more than three hours out of the twenty-four, and he don't sleep then. Didn't that doughboy the steward tell me that of a morning he always find the old man's hammock clothes all rumpled and tumbled, and the sheets down at the foot, and the coverlet almost tied into knots, and the pillow was sort of frightful hot, as though a baked brick had been on it? A hot old man. I guess he's got what some folks ashore call a conscience. It's a kind of tick-dolly row, they say. Worse nor a toothache. Well, well, I don't know what it is, but the Lord keep me from catching it. He's full of riddles. I wonder where he goes into the afterhold for every night, as Doughboy tells me he suspects. What's that for, I should like to know? Who's made appointments with him in the hold? Ain't that queer now? But there's no telling, it's the old game. Here goes for a snooze. Damn me, it's worth a fellow's while to be born into the world if only to fall right asleep. And now that I think of it, that's about the first things babies do. And that's a sort of queer too. Damn me, but all things are queer, come to think of them. But that's against my principles. Think not is my eleventh commandment, and sleep when you can is my twelfth. So here goes again. But how's that? Didn't he call me a dog? Blazes. He called me ten times a donkey, and piled a lot of jackasses on top of that. He might as well have kicked me and done with it. Maybe he did kick me, and I didn't observe it. I was so taken all aback with his brow somehow. It flashed like a bleached bone. What the devil's the matter with me? I don't stand right on my legs. Coming afoul of that old man has a sort of turned me wrong side out. By the Lord, I must have been dreaming, though. How, how, how? But the only way is to stash it. So here goes to hammock again, and in the morning I'll see how this plaguy juggling thinks over by daylight. <laughs>